Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We're so glad that you chose to join us today, and once again, welcome. Today, I have the distinct privilege of introducing to you yet another one of my lifelong friends and partners in ministry. His name is Peter Aline, and over the past couple of decades, he's worked with great excellence and also great accolade in the business community. But while doing so, he's obeyed the words of Jesus, where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that people often worry about will be added to you as well. Peter's done this with great faithfulness, being not only a wonderful family man, but also serving in multiple congregations, both domestically and internationally, as a teaching elder. And as a matter of fact, since the inception of Second City Church, Peter has been a constant voice of counsel a constant prayer warrior on behalf of you, your family, our congregation, and the impact our church would make both in the city of Chicago and abroad through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a man who studies the word of God incessantly, dividing it and administering it accurately, both in its historic context and with a prophetic application for what God is doing today. And so would you open your hearts today to the word that God has for us through his word, through the ministry of my partner in ministry, Peter Ali. Hello to my dear friends in Second City Church. I've missed you guys a lot. I uh, wish I could have been out there in Chicago in person this year. I wanted to say hello to my dear friends, Pastor Rollin and B, and their wonderful kids in your entire congregation. Um, and so though I won't get to see you face to face in these next few months, I'm really thankful that I get a chance nonetheless to record this message and speak to you. Hope everyone's doing well, and I look forward to the next time that I can come out and see your faces in person. I wanted to talk to you today about how to advance the gospel and why to advance the gospel. As you can see, the moment we face is a moment when both nations are in tumult and also individual lives have been greatly turned upside down uh, by everything that's been happening in 2020. What I want us to remember is that, as Paul said, we don't look at any circumstance from an earthly point of view. Rather, we ask ourselves the question, what is God desiring to do in this situation? You may recall that Philippians was written by Paul as he was sitting inside a jail cell. But he said to the uh, church members at Philippi to whom he was writing this letter, Brothers, I want you to know that what's happening to me is really serving to advance the gospel. And Paul gave several reasons. First, he said, everyone in the prison guard and everyone else is aware that I'm in chains for Jesus Christ. Secondly, he said, it's emboldened the other brothers and sisters so that they themselves are comfortable and willing to go out and speak the gospel at well. So a situation that I'm sure almost all of us would look at and say, what a terrible thing to be confined to prison for this period of time. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So the framework and the context of this message Everything that's happening in our nation right now is against the backdrop in which we can ask the question, what is God doing to advance the gospel through this season and how can we participate with him? 
I want to start by sharing with you a very encouraging story. More than 20 years ago, when my brother was a graduate student at the University of Chicago, he befriended a student from another nation. And he began to share the gospel with this friend and meet with him and explain what the Bible says about who God is, who we are, and how a person can be saved. At the time, this friend did not respond. And this was in the mid-1990s. They retained the friendship. And just this past year, in other words, more than 20 years later, this friend reached out to contact them and said, as a result of your sharing the gospel with me more than two decades ago, I am now a believer in Jesus Christ. This is against the context of in that particular nation, there is huge political upheaval. People are being arrested. It's a very challenging time in that nation. And in the midst of it all, this friend said, the gospel seeds you planted more than 20 years ago are now bearing fruit in my life. So I wanted to encourage you with that and to say that as we see everything that's going on and as we engage in everything that's going on, the question that should be at the top of our minds is, how is God using this to advance the gospel? I want to talk about four things for you today. First, what we believe in the gospel. Uh, secondly, why we share the gospel. Thirdly, how we share the gospel. And fourthly, what it means to live for the gospel. Let's begin with a, a most familiar verse from John 3, 16 and 17. Uh, as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and in the context of that story, uh, the apostle John wrote down these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. My father was speaking one time to me and some others, and he said the gospel can be explained with this verse by thinking about four different dimensions. In John chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle John lays out four dimensions of what the gospel means. First, the breadth. God so loved the whole world, the entire world. That means every human being whom you and I meet in any context or situation, that is an individual whom God loved and for whom Jesus Christ died. And so when we think about the magnitude of the gospel, the dimensions of the gospel, the first thing we think about is, well, how, how, what is its breadth? And the answer is, it spans the entire world for all of human history. God so loved the whole world. No human being you will ever meet is left out of that, which implies that as they are God's creation and loved by them, there is no human being to whom we are not called to show love by sharing the truth of the gospel. Secondly, what's the length of the gospel? The length of the gospel is so great that God didn't spare his only son. He gave his only son. There was no limit with, consistent with this character that God was not willing to go to, to bring people back into a relationship with himself. If you think about it as a parent, and many of you are as I am, a parent's worst nightmare is that harm should befall one of his or her children. And so this is what God the Father willingly subjected himself to, to see incredible harm, torture, pain, and death befall his son because so great was his love and compassion for us. So the breadth is the whole world is covered. The length is God's willing to go to this length 
that he would give up his only son. Thirdly, let's talk about the depth. How deep is the message of the gospel? The truth is that whoever believes in Jesus is the person to whom the gospel applies. You might say the vilest offender, the worst sinner, the person who has done these unconscionable things. To that person, the gospel comes and says, whoever believes in him. So it's not a question of what is the magnitude of what someone has done before meeting Christ? Because whoever believes in him can, that is the depth to which God is willing to go, no matter how much someone's done. And then fourthly and finally, we've talked about the breadth, the length, and the depth. Fourthly, what's the duration? How long does this gospel last? And John says it quite simply. Anyone who believes in him won't perish, but that person will have eternal life. How long is this salvation going to last? Forever. It is a permanent and lasting solution. If you think about the solutions that companies propose to a wide range of problems, or if you think about a pharmaceutical ad you've seen recently. What's included in that? First of all, there's a length of time after which the medicine wears off and you might need to take another one. Secondly, it often comes with significant and dramatic side effects. But this solution is neither of the above. It has infinite duration um, and scripture says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. God doesn't come into your life to say, I've got good news. You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But here are all these negative side effects. Instead, it's an infinite duration. God only has to, he he looks at his children and says, I love them and I care for them and my love for them extends forever. So that's the gospel. The breadth is God so loved the entire world. What's the length he was willing to go to? Well, he was willing to send his only son to die in our place. What's the depth that he was willing to plumb? He's willing to accept the vilest sinner, the person who's done the most unconscionable things, if that person will repent and turn to God and place his faith in Jesus Christ or her faith in Jesus Christ. And then finally, what's the duration of this gospel? This gospel will last forever. The good news is Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words never will. And you can be saved and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life and dwell with him forever. So that's the essence of the gospel, quickly summarized. Second thing I want to talk about today is why we share the gospel. What's that animating motivation that gets us up to engage with people and share with them this good news? Paul said it so well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Even though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do so any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now's the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What do we learn about why we share the gospel from this passage written by the Apostle Paul? The first is, we've been reconciled through Christ's death and resurrection. We don't look at Christ, he said, from a worldly point of view any longer. As Paul was coming up and he was, according to the strictest sect of the Pharisees, he was a faithful Jew. Paul looked at Jesus as a rebel against that strict Judaism. Other people might say Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's a philosopher. He's a prophet from a mold, an important historical figure, or maybe even a myth. But Paul said, now that we're in Christ, we, we don't look at anything from a worldly point of view any longer. We regard him as the word made flesh who came to dwell among us. We regard him as the one if in whom we believe we might have salvation and forgiveness of sins through him. Not only do we not look at Christ from a worldly point of view, we don't look at people from a worldly point of view any, any longer. We don't suppose that anyone is beyond saving. Paul knew Looking back, he must have thought, anyone who saw me rubbing my hands together with glee when Stephen was martyred, they could have thought, this guy will never become a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul did become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, we don't look at anyone from a worldly point of view anymore. Anyone who would have looked at Paul prior to his conversion would have said, this guy is hopelessly lost and he will never turn to Christ. And yet, that's not the perspective we have anymore. We know instead that if anyone's in Christ, that person becomes a new creation. And Paul says, all of this is from God. He's the one who's initiated this great reconciliation through Christ. We were dead in our sins. He made us alive in Christ. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's all from God. So we've been reconciled. Secondly, we're compelled, compelled by Christ's love. All of us who are utterly dead in sin, but, but Christ died for us and transformed us. Not one of us was sufficient apart from Christ. And yet no one of us is beyond the reach of the atoning work of Christ. He died for all. John said it this way. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. If we were utterly dead so that we had no hope whatsoever if we were rescued by God from that dominion of darkness, we can't live for ourselves any longer. We have to live for the one who brought us out of death into life, the one who brought us out of darkness into light. We owe him our very lives. So we've been reconciled to God. We're compelled by Christ's love. And then thirdly, we're ambassadors on Christ's behalf. God has given us, it says, the ministry of reconciliation, or God has committed the, the word of reconciliation to us. Jesus was the only perfect minister this world has ever seen. He was the only perfect messenger this world has ever seen. But he's finished his work, and now he's sat down at the Father's right hand where he constantly lives to intercede for us. Angels might be both more articulate or more intimidating, but that's not the work God's given them. God sent them to be ministering spirits to us, his people, who have this ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors, scripture says, on his behalf. 
what is an ambassador? An ambassador is an official representative of one nation who travels to another nation. The ambassador is embedded in the new nation's culture, but always represents and never loses ultimate allegiance to that home culture of the nation from which he or she was sent. We're Christ's ambassadors. So what does that mean? Even though we're embedded right here in the United States of America or whatever country we're embedded in, we never lose our ultimate allegiance to our heavenly nation. That's where our orders come from. That's where instructions come from. Instructions come from. And wherever we go, we're seeking to represent in a worthy manner the kingdom of God. We're Christ's ambassadors, and we have this message of reconciliation that we bring as his emissaries. This passage also says we have the word that is the logos of reconciliation. A missiologist named Ed Stetzer put it this way. The gospel is the declaration of something that actually happened. And since the gospel is the saving work of Jesus, it isn't something we can do, but it is something we must announce. We live out its implications. But if we are to make the gospel known, we will do so through words. And we aren't just responsible for the content of the message. We're responsible for its heart as well. Verse 20 says, God makes his appeal through us. And that's why we implore people, we plead with people to be reconciled to God. We're carrying this appeal of the one who came near Jerusalem and wept when he saw its spiritual condition and the judgment that was coming. We're carrying the appeal of someone who said, listen, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Please let me come in and eat with you and have fellowship with you and and you with me. We're carrying the appeal of the one about whom scripture says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The one whose love held him on the cross at Calvary. And so it's not just the message of reconciliation. We've talked about exactly what the gospel means, but it's also the heart of reconciliation that God sends us with. We're not just ambassadors with a message, but we're making an appeal and we're imploring people and pleading with people, be reconciled to God. So we've talked about what the gospel is that is advancing. We've talked about um, what the motivation is behind why we share the gospel Um, Thirdly, I want to talk about how we share the gospel. What are some of the concrete ways that we can communicate through our speech and through our actions that Jesus Christ is alive, that his truth is real, and that people can know him? Uh, The first is we can speak boldly. Think about what was said in Acts chapter 5 at the very end. The apostles, for the first time, they've been beaten for preaching the name of the Lord Jesus. And scripture says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace from the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And so that bold proclamation is essential and it's vital if the gospel is to go forth. But wait a minute, didn't you hear, as I'm sure I have, didn't St. Francis of Assisi say, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words? Um, Mark Golley, who's a former editor of Christianity Today and Christian History, and before that, a biographer of Francis of Assisi, he said this, the problem with this statement is that St. Francis did not say that, nor did he live it. And those two contrafacts tell us something about the spirit of our age. First, 
no biography, no biography written within the first 200 years after Francis contains the saying, it's not likely that a pithy quote like this would have been missed by his earliest disciples. Second, in his day, Francis was known just as much for his preaching as for his lifestyle. He preached early in his ministry, first at the Assisi Church of St. George and later in the Cathedral of St. Rufinus. He usually preached on Sundays, spending Saturday evenings devoted to prayer and meditation, reflecting on what he would say to the people the next day. He soon took up itinerant ministry, sometimes preaching in up to five villages a day, often outdoors. In the country, Francis often spoke on a bale of hay or a granary doorway. In town, he would climb out on a box or up the steps of a public building. He preached to serfs and their families, as well as to landowners. He preached to merchants, women, clerks, priests, anyone who would gather to hear the strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. So you see, first and foremost, for the gospel to go forth, we need to speak it boldly. What are some other ways we can see it in advance? Uh, second, we can summon others. We can invite others to come and hear this message uh, for themselves. Think about the woman at the well. Jesus was speaking to her more and more as they talked. She realized, wow, this is a person who has a lot of spiritual insight. And then finally she said, I, I know that the Christ is coming. He'll be able to explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And what does the scripture say? The woman had come out of town to get her water, but she left her water jar and ran back into the town. And what did she do? She said to all the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So the second way that you can see, um, so, some people um, are more comfortable in the mode of being bold proclaimers of the gospel. Other people have this magnificent skill at just inviting, inviting, and inviting. They play the vital role of saying, come see for yourself. This has transformed my life, my my relationship with Jesus Christ has made everything about me new. You've got to come spend time with God and with his people and get to know him for yourself. So they're speaking boldly. They're summoning others. Thirdly, they're sharing your testimony. You may recall that Jesus interacted so differentially with people. Some people would come to him and say, I want to follow you. And Jesus would ask a probing question or make a statement that revealed their heart wasn't truly in it. But when Jesus healed a man who'd been possessed by many demons, this man was completely transformed. He needed to be bound by chains previously. Now he was sitting dressed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Scripture says in Mark 5, when Jesus got into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't permit him. So that's interesting. A lot of other times Jesus said, follow me, and people rejected it. In this case, the man said, can I follow you? Jesus didn't permit him, but he said this, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And so it's fascinating that Jesus went there, he ministered to one guy, and then the rest of the inhabitants of that region said, please go away, we don't want you here, leave. So Jesus left in a boat and, and this man who had been demon-possessed did exactly what Jesus said. Fascinatingly, Mark recounts two chapters later, Jesus leaves the region of Tyre and Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee, and he goes back into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. 
and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So how did it happen that, and, and later Mark says, Jesus had to take him away, away from the crowd. So what happened? Jesus hadn't been back to this region, but the man who'd been transformed was sharing his testimony with everyone he could meet. He shared it with his friends and his family, and they all said, wow, this guy used to be insane. He was possessed. No one could control him. And now here he is. He's completely sane in his right mind, and he's testifying about this Jesus. So when Jesus came back two chapters later, some uh, period of time later, because he had shared his testimony, there was a crowd to be ministered to by Jesus. The first time they repelled him and said, leave our region. The second time they crowded around him to be ministered to because of that powerful testimony. So we've talked about speaking boldly. We've talked about summoning others. We've talked about sharing our testimony. Fourthly, serving others in love. Acts chapter nine says, in Joppa, there was a disciple called Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And she was always doing good and always helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when his disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs, and all the widows stood around him, and they cried, and they showed him all the clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So Peter sent them out, he prayed, and then he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter and he sat and she sat up and he presented her to the believers alive. What happened as a result of this? This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. So here was a woman that had been so faithful. She'd served others in love so consistently throughout her life that when she died, the disciples simply couldn't bear it. And they ran to get Peter. Peter prayed for her. She was healed. Uh, raised from the dead. And as a result, many, many people turned to the Lord. Her faithful acts of service, serving others in love over time, those were transformative to that whole region during her life. And then after she died and was raised again to life as people saw that miracle as well. Fifthly, we can show forth God's power. Remember how Paul, just before he was in Corinth, He was in Athens and he was reasoning with philosophers and explaining to them about the resurrection of the dead and the judgment to come. And so when Paul left Corinth, uh, Paul left Athens rather and traveled to Corinth, the very next place he went to, um, here's how Paul wrote about his mindset as he went in ministry. He said, my message and my preaching when I came to you, they weren't with wise and persuasive words. Instead, they were with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And so when Paul came to Corinth, he took this tack. He said, I'm not going to try to use wise and persuasive words. The people of Corinth will see the power of God demonstrated through the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, Paul could say, your faith isn't going to rest on human wisdom. It's going to rest on God's power. Again and again in scripture and again and again in history, And throughout the world, even now, in many places, it is a miracle that a miracle of healing, a miracle of deliverance that often awakens a community to be receptive to and to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about speaking boldly, summoning others, sharing your testimony, serving in love, showing God's power. One more, 
submitting evidence for the truth. Here's what scripture says about Apollos. Apollos wanted to go to Achaia and the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. There are some people who have, uh, as soon as you answer one objection, they'll raise another ad infinitum. But there are also people who have a finite number of objections and once answered, those obstacles having been removed, they can place their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the role that someone like an Apollos plays, coming in and saying, oh, you have concerns about this particular issue. Let's discuss it. Removing those obstacles and demonstrating from the scripture that Jesus is the Christ is a vital element to the salvation story of many people. So as we think about these things, recall that in the gospels, we see that Christ did every single one of them. His gospel presentation was holistic. It covered every one of these things. He spoke boldly. He said, no one's gonna come to the Father except through me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. He stood up at a feast and boldly summoned anyone who wanted to come to him and drink. He testified to John's friends. They said, are you the one who was to come and, or should we look for someone else? And Jesus said, look around you. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are being raised. This is the testimony, the power of what God's doing. He served the disciples in love by taking on a task that at that time was reserved for the lowest servant. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed their feet. He showed God's power by taking a little boy's lunch and feeding 5,000 men, as well as women and children, calming a storm and driving out a legion of demons. Jesus submitted evidence for the consistent fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that referenced him from many hundreds of years before. When we share the gospel as Jesus modeled it, doing every one of these things with the power that he supplies, we represent him as ambassadors and our appeal has the greatest effectiveness. Leslie Newbigin said this in the gospel in a pluralistic society, to be willing to publish them is the test of our real belief. In this sense, missions are a test of our faith. We believe that the truth about the human story has been disclosed in the events which form the substance of the gospel. We believe, therefore, that these events are the real clue to the story of every person. For every human life is part of the whole human story and cannot be understood apart from that story. It follows that the test of our real belief is our readiness to share it with other peoples. So we know what the gospel is. We know why we share the gospel and we know how we can share the gospel effectively. Um, fifthly and lastly, I want to talk about um, how we live for the gospel. This is what Paul said. Paul, who had grown up um, according to the strictest sect of the Jews, he was a faithful Pharisee. He left all that behind to follow Christ. What was the nature of his commitment to advancing the gospel? Paul was prophetically warned and told, if you go up to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. You're going to be in trouble. It's going to be bad. And, and Paul said this in Acts chapter 20. I'm compelled by the spirit and I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, Paul had a certain way in which God called him to carry out that task, but we are all called to be part of this glorious mission. And that's why Paul said, I know that prison and hardships and trouble are facing me, but I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit and I can't stop speaking about this Jesus. And so my life really isn't worth anything to me. I was bought with a price and so I'm honoring God with my body. I don't let these warnings uh, cause me to turn back from the truth of I'm going to testify faithfully to the gospel of God's grace. And so I consider, when Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me, he wasn't talking about throwing it away callously and he wasn't talking about not stewarding his gifts. He was saying, my life, my dreams, my ambitions, the things that I adopted in my worldly mindset, those are the things that are, that are of no value to me because my calling is to do this. It's to testify to the gospel of God's grace. In conclusion, there is a responsibility on all of us to respond to the gospel. And I want to invite you to two responses and then pray. Paul said in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. James said, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. The truth is now is the only time of which we're certain. We're not guaranteed tomorrow or next week. We're not even guaranteed uh, this evening. All we are guaranteed is this moment right now. And so because tomorrow is not promised to us, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. If you have never trusted Christ to save you, to wash away your sins, if you look at your life and you realize next to Christ's perfect standard, I'm guilty. I've fallen short. And the truth of it is we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. If you've never trusted Christ to save you, to make you a new creation, to wash away the old and to put a new creation inside of you, the time is now. Ministering in his name, I'm imploring you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Receive his forgiveness. Accept his love by faith. If you've already trusted Christ, that means you're a new creation in Christ. And that means you are his ambassador. You are the one through whom God's appeal goes out to the men, women, and children who are in your circle of influence. And the one who brings them this invitation. Be reconciled to God. Take this moment to say to God, here I am, send me. Show me how to share the gospel. Show me how I'm particularly gifted to do it most effectively and show me to whom you're sending me. As we close now in prayer, I just invite you to close your eyes and spend this minute focusing on what God is saying to you. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the message of reconciliation that's come to us. So first and foremost, I pray for anyone who's hearing this who has never placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Recall the gospel. God loved the whole world, which includes you and me. He loved so much he was willing to send his only son. We had broken his law. He sent his perfect son to bear the punishment and to die in our place. To what depth? Anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, Jesus Christ stands willing. He stretches out his hand 
and says, come to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how long does this last? For all eternity. We who believe in Jesus Christ and trust him, we will have fellowship with the Lord and with each other forever. So I invite you right now to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I receive your gift of salvation and I will trust you all my life. If you've already trusted Christ, pray this with me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I accept the call to be your ambassador. I know that you spoke with boldness. You served in love. You summoned others. You shared the good news. And you, um, you uh, provided a defense. You spoke boldly about how you were the fulfillment of everything Jesus had done. And in all those things, God, I pray that you would show us clearly and definitively, where do we fit? How do we fit in as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, advancing your kingdom and gospel? Lord, we thank you that at this unprecedented time, we can look around us and say, what's happening here can really serve to advance the gospel. As people's hearts are shaken, as culture, cities, societies are shaken, let your gospel go forth in power. And we believe you for the salvation of many men, women, and children. And we believe for each of us that we will pick up the mantle. We will take on the responsibility to be your ambassadors, not in our own strength, but with the strength you provide, anointed and empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have your eyes turned towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who not only fills us with his life changing presence, but then also sends us out with the good news of his gospel. So we encourage you over the course of this week to again, check out our website and find ways that you can get involved even virtually in our community groups. This next week, we also encourage you to share this message that can encourage others. And then next week for our virtual service, please also bring a friend who also needs to hear this good news of Jesus Christ. We want you to know that we're praying for you. We love you. We hope you have a great week in the Lord. And until then, God bless you.